morning, everyone. I hope you have a wonderful day. With Hashem's help, we're starting a new tractate, tractate Gitin, the uh, second to the last tractate in the order of Nashim. And even though get, get means a document, but when you say Stam Get, it's referring to a bill of divorce. Tesis brings that uh, the reason why the custom, the custom is the reason why the custom is that you write the get is written on twelve lines because numerical value of get gimel is three tes is nine so it's, so so it's twelve lines why is that so he brings from the name of the goenim. Because it says Sefer Krisus. It's a book of Krisus. And we know the Sefer Torah between the three Chumashim, between Bereshis and Shemais, Shemais and Vayikra, Vayikra and Midbar, you have to have four lines, four empty lines between those three Svarim. And even though you have five books, which will be 16 lines, but the last one, Eilad Varim, is a part, because these, the, these are the words that Moshe himself said. But the Torah is Hashem's words. So that's why it's safe. So what's the connection? What's, why is that? And by the way, Goyen says, if you want to come up with 12, there are many ways to come up with 12. There are many combinations. Why does it have to be this combination of Gimel Tes? The Goyen says, because Gimel Tes are the only letters in the Torah you'll find that are not together. They're like divorced from each other, separate from each other. That's why the, this combination of Get. But the question is, what's the connection? Because the Torah has four, that's why you write a Get 12 lines, and that's what we call it, get. Uh, also, why would you proceed the tracted Gitin before the tracted Kedushin? It should be the reverse. First you have to get, first you have to get married, and then, then you can, uh, and then you can, you can divorce. So, the Rebbe explains, he says, because it's only Gitin that highlights what a Kedushin really is. Without Gitin, we don't really understand the novelty of a Kiddushin. Kiddushin is so novel. A husband gives the wife a ring or he gives her a shabaprutta, a penny, and they become married. And if he commits adultery, she gets killed. It's adultery. What kind of marriage is that? You know, marriage in the world before the giving of the Torah and today for nine billion people is halachically, the seven Noahide laws, marriage is two adults choose to get them married and they live together as husband and wife. They're married with all the implication, the consequence. What's a divorce? You walk away from the marriage. It's over. A kiddushin, how, a kiddushin, you're not living yet together. So I just gave you a ring, I gave you something of value, I wrote a document, and that makes us married? What, what, what's, what's the connection? And where do you see that? By a get. In the rest of the world, Logically, by the seven Noahide laws, before the giving of the Torah, any one of them walks out of the marriage, the marriage is over. He or she, the two adults, they no longer love each other, they walk out, it's over. It's finished, they're no longer considered halachically. For the seven, the seven Noahide laws, halachically, they're not considered married. Here, they hate each other. Husband and wife hate each other. Until you write this document, you're married 100%. What do you mean? You can't stand each other. No. A get is like a, it's like a um, it's like an operation. It's like an amputation. 
You, the husband and wife are one. This is what the Torah is telling us. A Jewish marriage is different than the other, other marriage. And it's highlighted by the, by the get. A Jewish marriage, it started even before you were born, before you, had, you were conscious. Forty days before the child is formed, it's already a decreed. We learned in Saitas, right? Decreed, you and the daughter of so-and-so will marry so-and-so. Forty days before the child is even formed, they're already married. <laughs> they're connected to each other. It has nothing to do with you. It's beyond you. It's greater than you. And You fall in love. You don't fall in love. It doesn't change the reality. You're one. You're, you're two half-souls that are one. And unless you write a get, which is literally like a, like a uh, which is literally like an operation, an amputation, that's why we're very hesitant to get divorced. You, you run to marriage counseling, you run to the rabbi, you try whatever you can to try to keep the marriage together because it, it, the marriage is it's an absolute, it's, a, it's an inherent, innate. The Torah allowed the Torah doesn't want us to be miserable. The Torah allows us if you have no choice. Sometimes you have to amputate. It's killing the whole organism. You know, it's so poison that you're going to die, fine. So the Torah allows it, but it's a last resort, and you cry. It's a tragedy. But, <laughs> so it's only get that highlights what a marriage, what a Jewish marriage is. That's why Gitten comes before Kedushin. And it's just like the ultimate marriage of the Jewish people and Hashem. The Jewish people tell Hashem, you divorced us. You expelled us from your home. You destroyed our home. You expelled us from the land. We're in Gullus, close to 2,000 years. You divorced us. And what's the ultimate? Mashiach will come. <coughs> That's the ultimate marriage. So the marriage of the Jewish people, the ultimate marriage, the model of a Jewish marriage, the marriage of the Jewish people and Hashem, we are the, with the bride and Hashem is our groom. It's a marriage that comes after divorce. Through tshuva. Because why? Because an exile tells us exactly. Exile highlights how deeply connected we are with Hashem. That despite the fact that Hashem has upset at us. And despite the fact that He destroyed our home. And he expelled us, but we're inseparable. He still loves us unconditionally. The connection is inseparable. Where do you see that in Golis? Only by the divorce you see how inseparable a Jew is from Hashem. And that's why inevitably Mashiach is going to come. We're going to ultimately consummate the marriage. We're going to reveal this, this, how deep this relationship, how core and essential our relationship with Hashem is. Um, answers, responds, where is, show me the bill of divorce that I gave you. I never gave you a bill of divorce. <laughs> It'll never happen. It's not happening. It never will happen. Okay, so the mission. Maybe get the mission. Start. Maybe get them and say, yeah, um, someone brings a get from overseas. She brings a get from overseas. That the husband, or the witnesses bring a get, or the shlia brings a get from the husband who's overseas separating between the husband and the wife. Just like in the present exile, it's like overseas, like a separation between the husband and the wife, Hashem and the Jewish people. You have to say, the witness has to testify that I saw this get being written and I saw it signed. It's not that they handed me a finished document. Here, do me a favor. Please, could you transport this document to my wife? She's overseas and deliver it to her. No, he has to testify that he actually saw them writing this bill of divorce and he saw them signing, the witnesses signing the law. Rabbi Gamliel says, Even if you bring it from the town of Rekem or from the town of Heger, you also have to, have to testify that you've seen them writing the, the bill of divorce and signing the bill of divorce. This is near Eretz Yisrael. 
In other words, not only if it's from abroad, any place outside of Eretz Yisrael, from abroad, but even if it's from towns, which are, yeah, border towns, borders Eretz Yisrael. He says, even Rekim and, and Chege. Basically, you always need proof. That this yeah, yeah, he has to testify. The same, the, the shlia, the agent has to testify. The agent who's bringing the bill of divorce has to testify that he saw them write the divorce and he saw them sign the divorce. Even from the from the suburbs to the city, also has to testify. The rabbis disagree. Only if he comes from overseas. The mother will explain what's the difference between the rabbis and the original. That was the opening statement of the Mishnah and the Tanakhama. He says only overseas. If it's from Rekem and Cheger or the bordering towns or if it's from, from the village, from the uh, suburbs, the city, you don't have to say. You just give him, hand him the bill of divorce and just deliver it to the wife. You don't have to know, you don't have to see it being written and being signed. And so on, who brings? Who brings the divorce? Who brings from the province to province? They mean state to state. Right. No, from even one, even one state. But it's let's say it's governed. It's governed by 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 two different two different administrations. Right. There's two rulers. Different districts within the same city. North Dakota and South Dakota. No, even in the same city, if it's ruled, it's two, two different municipalities, two different cities. So you have to say, So meaning east side and west side. Different districts. Maybe two the by say, from one, one state to another state. Even if you have two rulers in the same city, the city is divided. And you have two two parts. Each part is controlled by, by a different ruler. If you bring from one side to the other city, the other side of the city, you have to say the witness has to say, the agent has to say it was written and signed before me. Abuda says midrakem lemizrach. From midrakem lemizrach, any place from east of midrakem. That's called Medina Sayyam. That's called abroad. Medekem Kamizra. And Medekem itself is also, it's like the East, considered like the East. It's called abroad. In other words, outside the land of Israel. So any, if you bring from outside the land of Israel to the land of Israel, so it's beyond the eastern border of Israel. So if you deliver a get from Rekem, from Rekem itself, or anywhere east of Rekem, to Eretz Yisrael, that's considered you bring a get from from abroad to the land of Israel, and you have to testify and say Taisu says that we find that Rekem and 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 Chege were, were part of Israel, so you have to say there are two cities that were named the same name. It's very possible if cities in America also have the same name. So one of them was inside the border, and the western side was inside the border, but the one on the east was, was considered outside the border, border of Israel. Ma'ashkelon Ledorim, anywhere south of Ashkelon is outside, is abroad, is outside the land of Israel, and Ashkelon itself is also, Ashkelon is also outside the land of Israel. In the north, Me'akul Litzafin, anywhere north of Aku, 
But Akko itself is also Gitzarf, and Akko itself is also outside the border of Israel. Rabbi Meir argues, he says, no, Akko carries Israel, Akko is considered like within Israel. So if, you, if an agent is sent with a get from Ashkola, from Akko, he doesn't have to testify anywhere in Israel, doesn't have to testify and say it was written before me. It's not considered like a broad. Ashi points out, he only discusses north, south, and east. Why doesn't he discuss west? Because west, west is the Mediterranean. Mediterranean, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, but there was Cyprus. You could have said something. Maybe get there to Israel if you bring a get in the land of Israel, anywhere within the land of Israel. And it's such a The agent, you just hand them the get. They do me a favor, deliver it. The husband gives the agent the get. He wasn't present when they wrote the get. He wasn't present when they signed the get. They just hand them the get, and they tell him, please deliver this to my wife, and that's fine. I maybe get better to me. That was written in Eretz Yisrael. So then you don't have to, you don't need his testimony. He doesn't have to be present by the writing and the signing of the get. What if, what if then the husband will claim that I never wrote, I never wrote this get? It's a forged document. And the agent can't say anything. He wasn't there. He wasn't present. The agent can't testify. The purpose of the, of the agent testifying is, when, once the agent testifies and he says that I was present at the writing and at the signing of the get, the husband can't come along and say it's a forgery. We believe the witness. The agent is a witness. He was there. Yes, but he was there. He was present. If you, whenever you believe a single witness, even if it's a woman, even if it's a non-cultural witness, the rabbis believed him, unless he has proof. If two witnesses come and say the whole thing was a forgery, then of course, it's two kosher witnesses against a flimsy witness. But usually when you bring a document, we assume it's kosher until, until the person claims, hey, it's forgery, I never wrote this document. Then we say, if he claims forgery, then I have to prove, authenticate the signatures. But... but but that's the reason why the rabbis say that a, a, a messenger, an agent who brings the document from over, abroad, from overseas or abroad, so you, how are you going to authenticate the witnesses? If the husband will come and say it's not true, where are you going to go find the witnesses? Who's going to go traveling to your hopes and find the witnesses, locate the witnesses? If it's in the land of Israel, it's very easy to authenticate the witnesses. It's local. But outside the land of Israel, how are you going to authenticate the witnesses? So therefore, we require him. We don't accept the get. And we require him. You must be present at the writing of the get. You must be present at the signing of the get and testify as, as, as much. And then the husband can no longer come and disqualify the document. She'll rely on the document, she'll get married, and he'll come ten years later that I never wrote this document as a forgery. No, no, I'm sorry. The witness came, he testified. My time, what's the reasoning? Why did the rabbi say that we don't accept the get unless the agent could testify that he was present when they wrote the bill of, doc- the bill of divorce and when they signed? So we have an argument. That's what you're referring to. Because people abroad are not Torah scholars and they don't know the halacha. They don't know that the bill of divorce had, must be written specifically for this woman. It says, Vekasav law. We already had it in sight. It has to be written for her in mind. You can't just take a bill of divorce off the shelf. Oh, it's perfect. It matches the name. The name of the husband, the name of the wife. It was written for someone else. But it doesn't matter. Why waste, why waste a, good, a good document? 
So we'll use it for you. It's not a kosher get. It has to be written for her. In those days, and that in the times of the mission, and that's why in times of the Gemara, and that's why we asked when the agent testifies that I saw it written, and I saw it signed. We also asked him, was it written for this for his wife? Or did they take it off the shelf? No, he's saying the husband wrote it for his wife, who had her in mind, and he gave it to me. I was stood there, I was present, and he handed it to me to deliver this document. So we know all everything is covered. It is if that's the main reason your mother will ask, then then it's like it's like why doesn't he mention it? <laughs> he says you have, you have to testify that it was written before me, and it was signed before me. That's not enough. Maybe it was written and signed for someone else in mind. And then the husband changed his mind. He spoke to the marriage counselor and he changed his mind. And then it was, it was used for, for this person's wife, which disqualifies. So the main question is missing. You should have, they have to ask him. He has to testify. It was written before me, it was signed by me, and it was written specifically with her in mind. Okay, that's Rabbi's explanation. Rabbi gives a different explanation. Because there are no witnesses. Because people don't travel so much from abroad to Israel. You don't find a lot of travelers. So if the husband comes along and tries to disqualify the bill of divorce, say, claiming it's a forgery, I never wrote it, or the witnesses never signed it. So how are you going to affirm it? There's no people traveling. How are you going to go find the witnesses and, and, and get them to authenticate, authenticate their, 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 their signatures? Before you go to no, say, oh, are you going to the sound? No, he sent one individual who was also present at the writing and at the signing and says, please hand deliver this to my wife. You're my agent. Don't forget the husband has to divorce his wife directly. He has to give it from his hand to her hand. But an agent is considered as if, as if he is the principal. So he appoints him as his agent. He's an agent who's representing him. It's as if the husband is giving personally the divorce from his hand to his wife's hands. He's a direct agent that's been appointed for this, but he's also a witness. And the question is, why do we believe only one witness? If, if, if you're testifying to authenticate a document, once a person complains against a document and, and claims the forgery, you need two witnesses to authenticate a document. How is it possible that one agent could authenticate and obviate the need for, for authentication? One agent says, I was there. And if the husband claims and says it's a forgery, we dismiss him. We don't even pay attention. How is it possible? One, and also Lishma. Why, how could one witness be enough to testify that it was written Lishma? Maybe I need uh, two witnesses. As my Benayu, what's the difference between these two reasons? What's the practical implication between these two reasons? The mother says, Ike Benayu, you know what the difference is? That's today. If two people, if he appoints two, two people as his agents to divorce him, and they, they produce the get, the bill of divorce. So according to Rabba, they would have to say that it was written before me and it was signed before me. And because then they'll testify that it was also written for her, her in mind. It has to be Lishma. But according to Rava, to Rava, they, you don't need that. They don't have to be. They don't have to testify that they were present. Why? Because if you know, there's nothing to worry about, what are you worried about? If, if they weren't present when it was written, they weren't present when it was signed. The husband will come and, and claim that it's that it's a forgery. You have two witnesses who will authenticate. They were there. They know the witnesses. They, they can authenticate the documents. There's nothing to worry about. So it's very difficult to understand. Why are we so certain that they know the witnesses? If they weren't present, 
when the document was written. Rav is saying they don't have to be present when the document is written or signed. Why do we assume that these two witnesses can authenticate if the husband will ever come and claim it's a forgery? These two shluchim, these two agents, could, could, could authenticate the, docu- the signatures. Why? Why could we be so certain? Maybe they don't recognize them. How should they know that? They know everyone in town. They recognize everyone's signature. Who, who, says, who says the witnesses are going to stick around? Just because they had to come to each other. They came for a family simcha and then they're going back. The husband can come a year from now and claim the whole thing is a forgery. So uh, how, how, how will this... We should still require them to say to be present, even if there's two witnesses. So he says, they, they, so different Tesis explains what he means is the two witnesses testify that the husband sent them. So how can the husband come a year or two later and say that it's a forgery? What do you mean? You appointed two witnesses. We have two witnesses that you appointed as an agent. Surely you didn't send them in a wild goose chase. Surely you did everything properly. The get was written properly, it was signed properly, and you asked them specifically, you appoint them as your personal agents to hand deliver this get. So you can't claim it's a forgery. Or there's something wrong with the document. You, what do you mean? You appointed two witnesses. So we don't even pay attention to the husband anymore. It doesn't matter. We don't need the witnesses to be present when the husband comes, or, the husband, or, we're, we're, or rely on the fact that the witnesses could surely authenticate the, 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 uh, the, the uh, signatures. No, we can't be sure they can authenticate the signatures. And who says the witnesses will even still be present? It doesn't matter. The fact that you send them tells me it's not a forgery, period. Ami, or I'll tell you another another pra- practical implication between the two opinions. Rabbi and Rabbi is Boisim Medina. Medina Sayyab. If it's in the same, it's overseas, but it's in the same state. It's in the same city. Uh, it's in the same state. From one city to another city. So according to the reason of Rabbi, they don't know Lushma. They don't know the laws of Lushma. Then even in that case, I would need the agent to testify that he was present when they wrote it and when they signed it, and he can also tell us that it was written specifically for her. Because they don't know the rules. But according to Rava, the reason is that if the husband will claim it's a forgery, we can't authenticate it. Here we could authenticate it. It's, it's the next city. If, if he claims, we'll, we'll send the messenger to the next city. We'll, we'll look around, we'll ask around, and we'll, we'll authenticate the, the, uh, the signatures. So there's no need for the agent to be present at the writing of the get, according to him. Okay, so the, we have two practical differences between the rabbi's reasoning and the rabbi's reasoning. Now the Gemara asks, according to the today, I should need two witnesses to testify. All the, te- all the witnesses in the Torah to testify, especially when it comes to marriage or divorce, I need, I need two witnesses. How do we rely on one witness to testify that it was written Lishma, that it was written for her, for her mind? We never rely on one witness. According to Rabbah, according to Rabba, we don't trust the kashrus of this get. If it wasn't written Lishma, if they're ignoramuses and they're not familiar with the law, it's very likely that the get was never good. I can't rely on the get unless you come and testify that it was written Lishma. So if he was present when it was written and when it was signed, and they all know if it was written specifically for her. Otherwise, it's not a kosher get. So how, one witness, if you're worried that the get is not kosher, I need two witnesses. Here in the case, according to the Rav, we're only trying to make sure that in the future there shouldn't be a problem. You're trying to avoid a problem that may crop up in the future. If, if the husband will come and say that it was a forgery, 
What are the chances? What if? If it happens. So you want to make sure that there shouldn't be a problem later. So therefore, we, fix, we nip it in the bud. We fix the problem immediately. Fine. So, you know, and in general, to, 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 to affirm documents, the whole affirmation of documents, you know, if you rely on a document, you rely on a document. But fine. So therefore, you can understand maybe why you need one witness. So the Gemara will ask this question according to Rav also. But as of now, the Gemara is asking according to Rav, the first question according to Rav. Rav is, if the get is not kosher, we don't rely on the kashrus of the get, we suspect that it was, wasn't done properly, then how could, you, how could you use this get, you rely on this get based on the testimony of one witness? One shliach, who's, who's one witness. He's, he's the shliach, he's the agent, and he's the witness. Yeah, yeah, he's the witness who's testifying that it was done lishma. So the mother answer is We have a rule that one witness is believed when it comes to prohibition. Right? When you eat in someone's house, you're relying on one witness. And one witness is going to be a woman also, the, the balabasta. She's a balabasta. You rely on it. was kosher. You have to check all that. No, I want to see all your labels, where you got it from. Let me check. Are you kidding? You believe her. So one witness is believed when it comes to the surgeon. We're nida. You, you believe your wife. You went to the mikveh. You don't have to have two witnesses follow. <laughs> you don't need any proof. Otherwise, you can't live as a Jew. How can I eat in my own kitchen? I'm relying on my wife. <laughs> How can you? I mean, you can't live. I mean, obviously, the Torah says you have to trust them. I took tithing. If you eat, if you eat in Israel, agriculture is not kosher. If I, if I eat from the agriculture and it wasn't tithed properly, and I'm going to die. We just finished learning in Saita. All of the tithes were removed. I'm going to die in the hands of heaven. So you have to believe. You can have two witnesses follow constantly, affirming every step of the way. You can't live. So it goes without saying, the Torah believes one witness when it comes to the Sudan. Was it tithed? Yes. You go to the mikveh? Yes. Fine. Is it kosher? Fine. I don't have to... I don't need two witnesses. So to be here also, one witness is enough to testify that it was done kosher, it was written lishma. The question is, what do you mean? You see by get that one witness is not believed. What do you see by get that one witness is not believed? You need two witnesses to sign the document. Here <laughs> you tell me one witness is believed. I see by get that two, one witness is not believed. I need two. Yeah, but the answer is, the mother saying, since the get, the main get, is written with two witnesses. This is just to tell us, to clarify for us that it was done lishma. For that, one witness is enough. The main get, you talk, need two witnesses. But just to tell us it was done properly, for that, one witness should be enough. One testimony should be enough. So you might when do we say that one witnesses believe? Have a piece, a piece in front of me. Fat. I'm not sure if it's chaylev, if it's from a kosher domesticated animal, the parts that are chaylev, which are prohibited, and you lose your life, your life gets cut off if you eat those pieces of fat. Or suffix or shuman. Maybe it's the kosher fat, the part of the animal, the fat that you're allowed to eat. So, so I don't know. So there, one, one witness is believed to testify. I don't know in the first place if, it, if, it's, if it's ever prohibited. Maybe it's never prohibited. It doesn't fall into the category of the fat that's prohibited. So one witness can testify. It looks the same to me, a piece of fat. But I don't know which fat it is. So one witness is believed to testify. 
in our case, it's she's a married woman. You're trying to permit a married woman to get married. She should no longer be an HSH. You're dealing with something very serious. So to uproot, to change her status, she is now prohibited. You want to change her status from being a married woman to a single woman. For that, you rely on one witness. Here, I don't know. I don't know. Why should I think the food is not kosher? If the witness tells me it's kosher, it's kosher. Yeah, but here, she's a married woman. To undo and to change her status and to rely on. Where do you see relying on one witness? Here in the kitchen, he tells me the food is kosher. Fine, I have no reason to believe it's not kosher. You're not changing the status. Not changing the status, but to change the status, I should need two witnesses. This is something that involves erva. So the Gemara answers because most people do know the law. Even the ignoramus says most people know the law of Gittin that you need it. It has to be lishma. So our worry is not because we're really worried that the get is not kosher. We can safely assume, follow the majority, that it was it was done kosher. We just want to be a hundred percent. I feel that I made even I made the chayish lemiyuta. Even I made that holds. That um, who worries even even for the unlikely case of the minority that a, a minor by, by a yavam that a minor she's a minor and he's a minor the surviving brother and the wife the the widow and the brother that died childless they're both children. They're not allowed to marry each other. They can't do a yibum. Hmm. Not allowed to marry each other. Why? 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 Because in order for the marriage to be good, it's because only because eventually, when they both will mature and turn into an adult, then they'll they'll be able to be married. They'll be able to to reproduce. They'll be able to to have children. Now. When they're a minor, he's a minor, she's a minor, we don't know. Maybe it'll turn out that they, they'll never be able to reproduce, they can never have children. Maybe it'll turn out that he's like a sadist, and she's a, she'll, she'll never be able to have children. Yeah, she's an islandist, he's a sadist. So they'll never be, reach sexual maturity. And in that case, there's no mitzvah of yibum. In that case, it's a sister law. How could, how could they live together? That's a big Though it's a minority of cases, I mean, what are the chances? The overwhelming majority of children, minors, do turn into mature sexual adults. Is but the, Rabbi? It's unclear if that's still but, the, but there is the rare cases that don't. So the rabbis say, you don't have to worry, you don't have to worry about a rare case. The mayor says, you do. So he doesn't allow, allow the minor, if they're both minors, and allow them to live together. Let's wait. Till, oh, till they grow up, till they mature, and let, let's see. Fine, we'll wait. No, if listen, once if it's thirteen and they're not showing any signs, or twelve and they're not showing any signs of maturity, and then, uh, then it's then it's no longer a minority case. Then something is wrong here. Then probably probably a sudden. Yeah, yeah, but then it becomes like what are the chances that that they're not right? You know. But here, a, a regular minor, regular, there's no reason to assume that when they, she turns 12 and he turns 13, they're not going to reach uh, sexual maturity. So what's the rear case that the island is? It's so rear. But that mayor says you have to take that into account. Even, even a minority case, you have to take it into account. That mayor says we have to take into account even a minority. 
even the minority possibility, uh, remote possibilities, maybe that would explain Rabba. Rabba holds that we have to take into account the remote responsibility that maybe this was written by Ignoramus, who fell asleep in class, who's not familiar with this law that the get has to be written Lushma. And therefore, we need the affirmation. According to that, according to Rabbeinu, it's biblically required. So how could you rely on one witness, on the agent, one agent? You should need two, two, two witnesses, two agents. So your mother says, no, even according to that mayor, we can safely assume that the, the one who's writing the documents, he is knowledgeable. The people are not knowledgeable. But the one who's writing the documents, the sofer is writing the documents, and the, and the judges, they, they, know, they know the rules. Wrote the Gittin, not the lay people. The scholars wrote the Gittin. The lay people were, you know, they weren't not, uh, educated. So therefore, what are the chances? Even according to me, it's not even like a minority, it's not even a minority occurrence. It's not even something, it's not even a remote occurrence. It's just the safety, uh, just to be 100% sure. So it's only rabbinic. Therefore, the whole thing is only rabbinic. If Rabbi says one agent is enough to testify and to assure us that it was done properly, it was done listening. But Rabbanim with this, the rabbi is required. The rabbi said just to play it safe, we want to be 100% certain that it was done lishma. But biblically, you wouldn't need any testimony. You don't have to worry about the, the, the kashrus of this bill of divorce, of this guest. The chances you worry that a get was written for someone else who had the exact same name as the husband and the wife, and they didn't end up using it. They reconciled right before they was get was already written, and and it happened to be that we had this get lying around the same name we use it. I mean, it's so remote, it's so remote, even going to that mayor. Biblically, you don't have to worry about such a possibility. You can safely assume the get was written for this wife, even without any testimony. But the rabbis require remote possibility that this happened. The remote possibility that the seifer, who's knowledgeable, who's learned, who's educated, is not familiar with the laws of lishma. So therefore, the rabbis required that the agent should act as a witness, also testify that he was present when it was written and when it was signed, and he can also testify that it was written properly, lishma for her sake. This was as if that's what you're worried about, it makes no sense. Because you're not allowed to use a get. According to the mayor, you're not allowed to use a get. If you have two people in town that have the same name, you can't use it. No, I'm saying, even if, even if it was written for that lady, the problem is you can't use it because maybe by mistake someone is going to... She'll lose the get. The other wife will t- take out the find the get. She has proof that she was divorced because it's the same name. You know, it's, it's, it can get very tricky, very dicey. And the mayor says the get has to be clear in the get. Has to be clear who the get is. The, the witnesses who are signing has to be crystal clear who this get was written for. So it doesn't help, even if it was written Lishma, it was written for, the, for this wife. But since it has the same name, two people in town have the exact same name, husband and wife, exact same name, it's not good. You have to make it clear, either you have to add another name before, go back a generation that you can't confuse, that she makes this couple unique. You can't confuse it with any other couple. Exactly. Exactly.
Yeah, exactly. Specific. Right. So therefore, what do you have to worry about? What do you have to, what do you have to worry about? Maybe it was a get lying around and he used it. You can't use it. There's two people. Obviously, if they used it, there is no one else in town that has the same name. There is no one else who has the same name. So what are you worried about? What's there to worry so it says what he's worried about is and maybe maybe the scribe just wrote it to practice he's practicing so he has to write a few documents just to practice it happened to be that the, the name is that he practiced was so and so not that they're getting divorced or, he just practiced he just chose any name Rivka uh, Yaakov is divorcing Rivka and he has and he wrote it very nicely it's nice writing and he has it so he says, when Yaakov comes, he wants to divorce his wife Rivka. He says, oh, I have already a bill of divorce for you. I already, I already wrote it. Not, there's no other person in town in the name of Yaakov or Rivka. According to me, you don't have to worry. There's no one else. I can't confuse you with anyone else. No, why? Why? why did, he didn't tear it up. But there's no one in town that has the same name. So I have nothing to worry about. But he's not familiar with the law of Lishma. He doesn't realize that even though there's no one else in town with the same name, and it fits perfectly. And therefore, why not? Let me use it. He's not familiar with the law that has to be written in Lishma. So because of this remote, remote possibility, the rabbis require that the, the agent who's a shliach also has to, the shliach also is a witness, has to testify, has to be present when it was written, when it was signed, that makes sure to testify it was written in Lishma. So therefore, since the whole thing is only rabbinic, Biblically, there's no worries. Therefore, therefore, the rabbis were lenient because you don't want a woman to be chained. If you're gonna have to require, you know, two witnesses and testify, you want it to be free. So, therefore, the rabbis say even a flimsy witness, even one witness, even one witness is enough. Here, you don't have to worry anymore. Once, once the rabbis say we believe one witness, you don't have to worry anymore because anyway, the agent. The agent, you need an agent. The husband, has, he's living overseas or abroad. So the husband has to send an agent. So he can very easily act as a witness. Make sure that he's present when they write together. What's the big deal? Not only the witnesses and the scribe and the husband invite the agent. You're going to give it over anyway. Let him be present when they write it. It's not such a big deal. You're not, you're not going to endanger the woman. She's going to be chained if you require the agent to be present when they write the divorce. Oh, you give out. She'll, the women are going to be chained. No, what's the big deal? Anyway, he has to, anyway, you have to give it to him. Let him come a little earlier, a few minutes earlier. Let him be present when it's written, when it's signed, and then give it to him. So yeah, it's, it's no big deal. But if you require two witnesses, it already becomes a whole. Who are you gonna find two witnesses? You have to, it's a whole big deal. Okay, to be continued. Everyone have a wonderful day. It should be a good beginning. And of course, by learning Gitin, we should never have to, God forbid, use it.